You could turn with me to Judges chapter 16, and let's pray as we come to God's word. Lord, we just thank you, uh, God, for the opportunity to worship you. Lord, I thank you that we're created and designed for worship, Lord. We are created and designed for relationship with you. And Lord, as we spend time in your word today, Lord, we just recognize that this is actually what it is to truly eat. That's what your scripture tells us, that the spiritual man is fed by the word of God. And so, Lord, we want to feast on your word this morning. We pray, God, that you would satisfy us uh, with your love, that you would satisfy us with your presence, Lord, that we would sense just your spirit speaking to us through the word of God this morning. And so, God, we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, sweet. So we are continuing on in the story of Samson from the book of Judges. And uh, we've been looking at him the last couple weeks. We looked at his birth account two weeks ago. We looked at kind of uh, some of his life and uh, story last week. An incredible story. This man known for his unusual supernatural, supernatural strength that came from the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we come to Judges chapter 16, Samson has been leading uh, Israel for a period of 20 years. So we don't know, you know, um, what that all looked like. We just get some stories and some clips, the last couple chapters of what that was like. And he is a fascinating Bible character. Like, no doubt about it, when you look at the story of Samson, wow, what a crazy guy. I think kids especially love Samson. I loved him when I was a little guy. And, uh, you know, I think about him as we come to this point of the story, what we've seen is this, he's actually personally responsible for the killing of over a thousand Philistines, but all of his actions thus far, he's like the last judge in the book of Judges. So he's this man who serves as a savior and a deliverer and a leader for God's people. And so much of what he has done, really everything that he's done to this point in time has been, I would call... Um, self-serving. It's not like he's leading Israel and the armies of Israel in battle against their enemies. Instead, he's just been, you know, self-serving, doing his thing, digging himself into self-inflicted troubles and problems, and then having to fight his way out of those troubles. And God has been gracious to him and given him power to do so. And he's inflicted losses on the enemies of God's people. And so, so far, we've seen this about Samson. I would call him like this, this man of great physical strength who we know that, that that source of strength is really the power of the Spirit. But we've also seen this, that he has shown us signs of really concerning moral weakness. It's like, what? What is going on with this guy? What, are you doing these great acts of power for the kingdom of God? And then at the same time, he seems to be just this morally weak character. Well, it's going to get worse as we read on here. So let's check it out. We come to chapter, uh, chapter 16, verse 1. It says this, Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here, and they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait till the light of morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose, and he took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and he pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. 
So wow, another great feat of strength from this man, Samson. But what do we see here? He might be a strong man, but morally, he's a weakling. He's a moral weakling. He's a slave to his passions, slaves, a slave to the lust of his flesh, a slave to the lust of his eyes. He put himself here in a very, you know, a sinful situation, but a tentative situation too, to spend, his, to spend a night with a, a, a prostitute in, in one of the major cities of the enemy and to allow himself to be surrounded by the enemy and for them to plan and plot to, to kill him. He had put himself in this, I don't know, I would call it a foolish spot. It's definitely a disobedient spot for a man who was God's judge. Reckless, I would say, totally reckless. And it's amazing that as we read this, we find out this, that Samson gets up, this, this plan is in place to murder him, but he gets up in the middle of the night at midnight and he gets past, somehow gets past those who have plotted to kill him and he gets to the gates of the city and this, I mean, it's hard to imagine. He pulls the doors and the gates and the bar of the city right out of the ground, right out of the walls, the city walls, and uh, if that's not enough, he picks it up and he puts it on his shoulders and he carries it out of there, out of Gaza to the hill of Hebron. Now, I don't know what you picture in your mind when you hear that. I mean, often, you know, I've thought about it this way. It's like, well, he just took the gates up to the closest hill and set them there to teach the Philistines answer. But that's not what happened. The hill that looks Hebron is 60 kilometers away. So not only does he physically pull these gates out of the ground and put them on his shoulders, he hikes for probably two days with them on his back and supplants them there in front of the city, of the Israelite city of Hebron. It's unbelievable. I mean, this is why the story of Samson is legendary, man. This is why what we like to read about him. It's incredible how the Holy Spirit gave him strength and power and how God worked in the midst of his moral weakness to make him physically strong. And, and I, I mean, obviously, we could say this, that God actually like overruled Samson's sinful behavior. It's amazing because we, we stop and think about this and go, what's, what's going on here? Why would, how could God do this? How could God physically bless this man so incredibly when, when he was so weak spiritually, sinful, disobedient? But God was at work in him. God had raised him up to be a judge of the people. And God was moving to accomplish his purposes for his covenant people. But, you know, here's the thing. When I think about Samson, I think that his character is worth talking about here quite a bit, actually. It deserves time. I wish I wish we really could spend even more time this morning exploring it. But, you know, what's odd about Samson is that the more that God seemed to bless him, it's like the more brazen he got in his sin which is crazy. You know, God would give him strength to defeat his enemies, and the more Samson faced the danger, um, he was successful. And in his successes, and uh, yeah, I would say this, in his successes, he grew more and more confident in himself, in his belief that maybe he was invulnerable, that uh, he couldn't be defeated. And what we see as a man here, I mean, we're going to see this further, he grew increasingly and increasingly irresponsible and sinful. 
And you know, I think it's an interesting thing because it's something that each one of us faces is this, especially, you know, those men and women who experience the, the external circumstances of God's blessing on their lives, maybe blessed financially, maybe blessed relationally, maybe blessed in the workplace. Maybe we're just blessed living in Canada where we are with all of the good things and the standard of life that we have and everything. And there's this danger that we face in the midst of, of God's blessing that, that's just focused on the external circumstances of life. I think about Samson here. He experienced God's favor. This is incredible. Even when he had spent the night in sexual immorality involved with a prostitute, God was not condoning Samson's behavior, but the victory in, in taking the gates of the city seems to do this, that it, that it blinded Samson to the condition of his own heart. He's involved in sexual immorality, and yet God blesses him over here, and he goes off to this, this great victory. And it's interesting, as I say, that he was blinded because one of the things that we see about Samson is that his eyes are a theme to his story. You know, the first time, that he saw a Philistine woman and wanted her, he told his parents, I saw a woman, go get her for me. Now we read here, 20 years later, he sees a prostitute in Gaza. It's about his eyes, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. And he goes and he gets her for himself. And Samson wasn't looking for some, you know, long-lasting mutual relationship of love and trust. He's just gratifying his own sexual desire. And... Yet at the same time, God was working grace into his life. It's incredible. Sin was at work in his heart, and grace was at work on his life. And it's confusing when you see this. Don't you think that? Like, that's one of the things about Samson and about his story. It's, it's confusing. You're like, he's morally broken, man. He's sinful. And yet God is blessing him, and he's God's man, and he's called. In his grace, you know, God does this. In his grace, God takes our weaknesses and he uses them for us. He uses our weaknesses for us. But do you know what sin does? Sin takes the gifts of God and sin uses the gifts of God against him. It's disobedience. So grace is God's work in us and sin is our work against God. Now, Samson had both of these things functioning in his life, just like you do, just like I do. So here's Samson, and in the grace of God, he is experiencing God's blessing. He's experiencing God working in his life, and the fruit is outward victories, but they are outward. Something is missing in the heart of this man. And I think we need to catch this this morning as we look at his story. See, the tragedy of Samson is that, that he did not let the outward victories of God's grace do an inner work in his heart. Outward victories didn't learn, lead to inner gains. And what I mean is this, is that he didn't allow the grace of God to transform his character. Look at the grace of God's on your life. Grace of God is on my life. It's his unmerited favor. And we need to let grace work in our lives to transform us, to change us. This is like the man who took advantage. He used grace as a license to sin. And instead of allowing his character to be transformed, to grow in humility, 
to grow in wisdom, to grow in holiness, to grow in self-control. Instead, Samson saw outer victories as God overlooking his sin, or he saw it as God allowing him to function, you know, I would say with a different set of rules compared to everybody else. You know, yeah, I know the Word of God says that's sin, but that's for other people. Because I have a special relationship with the Lord. You know, that's, that's really bad for them, but, you know, I do such things and God continues to outwardly bless me. And I actually think that this is like one of the dangers of what we would call success in life. You know, our hearts are so depraved as human beings without, without the Spirit of God changing and transforming our hearts and us being given new hearts in Christ Jesus, our hearts are so depraved that they can even use the blessings of God to ruin our lives. That's why the worst thing that could happen to you, I would say, is this is for God to give you the desires of your heart. It's a good thing when he puts his desires in our heart and then he answers those. But our fleshly, the fleshly desires of our hearts forgot to answer that. That can be a real dangerous thing, might be the worst thing that could happen to you. It's actually been said this, that the most successful people in the eyes of this world tend to be those who are furthest from God. It's not crazy. Like, I mean, stop and think about that. All that the world values as success. And often those people typically are the furthest from God. This is why we need, you know, I would say in our day, in our time, especially as God's people, the church, to understand, you know, the blessing of suffering, of pain, of, of persecution. Such things for God's people are good, you know? I mean, I, I, in one sense, I don't want to say that. You know, I don't, I don't want to wish that on myself. I don't want to wish that on you or anyone else. But, but such things, suffering, persecution, trouble for the people of God, those are great teachers. Great teachers. I mean, just read the writings of men and women who have suffered terribly for the kingdom of God, maybe been imprisoned or persecuted or whatever it is for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know, men and women who've gone through such things, they, they all testify the same testimony. They all give witness to the same thing, that many of them would not trade those lessons for all the success the world has to offer. Because in the midst of their trials and hardships, the Lord proved himself to be near. The Lord proved himself to be faithful the Lord worked in their hearts to change their character. And so, you know, here's what I would say to you. Here's what I would say to you and what I'd say to myself. You know, we need to always treat God's blessing, his goodness to us as an act of his grace. And we need to remind ourselves that we are never above any sin. Never. Never above anything. You know, Samson experienced God's blessing and it was even in spite of his flawed cap character, just like, like every one of us. Like, I mean, the truth is, dig into my life, dig into your life. You're going to find character flaws. You're going to find sin. You're going to find a uh, fault. And yet God, in his grace, works in you. He works in me. But, but Samson, as God's grace was at work in him, he did this. He continued to push the limits of sin. He didn't allow grace to transform him. He got away with his sin, so he did it again. 
And he pushed the limits a little further and a little further until somehow, some way, he he had concluded in his heart, you know, I can't be defeated. I can't be taken down. God's blessing is on my life. His grace is upon my life. And, And suddenly, rather than being a man who was dependent on the Lord, Samson became a very self-sufficient man, doing whatever he wanted in the name of the Lord. And I find this interesting because, you know, I, 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 I hate to say it, but, you know, this year, even in the last few months, we have seen in uh, the church, in the North American church, like significant falls of church leaders. Prominent people that have had moral failings. And it's been, it's been wild to read about some of that in the last few months. And I think, well, what happened? What happened? Well, I think the story of Samson is a good example for us to understand this. This is why Samson's in the scripture. You know, these leaders experience successes. And meanwhile, they battle with issues of sin in their hearts and in their lives. They sin And yet there is an outward blessing. And so they don't allow the outward blessing of God to teach them, to train them. They don't let it teach them self-control and learn to deal with issues of the heart. And instead, God's grace and his blessing to them becomes license of wrong behavior, approval in a sense. And then you get a guy like Samson. Like, think about him. He can strangle a lion, and yet he can't control himself. He can take the gate of a city and pull it from the ground and carry it on his shoulders 60 kilometers, but he can't guard his own heart, which is the wellspring of life, as the scripture says. And so Samson is in this downward trend. And this chapter starts uh, with this story, I would say, about the prostitute in Gaza, just to show us, to to give us a bit of a precursor of where things are about to go. Things are not going to end well for this man. I'm sorry to say. Verse 4 says this. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. So what are we we finding out more and more about Samson? He's got a weakness for the ladies. Verse 5. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him, see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. We will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Verse 6, so Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak like any other man. That sounds totally ridiculous, and it is. (laughs) Verse 8, then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she said, now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he snapped the bowstrings, As a thread of flax snaps when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Verse 10. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. 
Now, wow, I think about these two, this is like not a relationship that's looking like it's got a great future in front of it. You got a morally weak man. You got a, a cunning woman. This is a bad combo here. And she has the chance to get rich and he's getting what he wants. And so this is not a love relationship that is going to last trouble. Verse 11. And he said to her, if they bind me with, so here's another, another option. He said, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my uh, head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak like any other man. So here they are, they're, they're playing this game. She's manipulating him with sex, trying to uh, pull out the truth. He is allowing that to happen and he's getting closer and closer each time in each one of these situations. I don't know what you're picturing in your mind if this was like, successive nights. I kind of think in my mind, you know, he's leaving town, then he's coming back two weeks later, and then she's working him again, and he's just asking for it. He set himself up here, and it's not like this defeat happened overnight. And now for the first time on this third occasion, he mentions something that has to do with the vow of a Nazarite, which Samson was committed to as a child from his childhood. He wasn't to cut his hair. It was a sign of his consecration to the Lord. So he's, he's cracked open the door here. Well, he brings his hair into this one. Weave it into the, the web. Verse 14. But while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the womb, the loom, and the web. So boy, this is getting dangerous. This guy doesn't know the dangers within his own heart. He, he thought he could, you know, use his strength to continue to escape and to continue to withstand Delilah the temptress, but he's going to be wrong here. Check out verse 15. She said to him, how can you say, I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Man, here they are. Like I said, this is just not a great relationship. She pesters him and pesters him and nags him and nags him till he's ready to die. That's what the scripture says. Uh, what a terrible relationship these two have. And it's ironic because she nagged him to death, as the saying goes. And that's exactly what's going to happen for him. That will be his end. So for some peace, he finally gives up his secret. Verse 17. And he told her all his heart. And he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head. For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. 
while verse 17 there is tragic. He, he told her all his heart, it says. He told her all about the Nazarite vow. He told her how a razor had never touched his head. But what's amazing is this, is that the focus, as he reveals all his heart, is on the externals of his life. Again, he's not getting down to the, the matters of the heart and the work of the Spirit. He didn't tell her that the, the Holy Spirit's power was at work in him to give him the supernatural strength. He didn't, he, he didn't tell her that the Nazarite vow involved external practices that reflected an internal reality in his heart and in his life, that, that inwardly he was to be consecrated to God just like these outward actions reflected. He couldn't talk about inward consecration. He couldn't. I mean, all he could talk about was the externals because he was involved with a sinful in a sinful relationship with this woman. And I guess in that sense, I mean, he didn't understand the Nazarite vow himself. You know, to him, just externals. You know, just a clean cup on the outside, like Jesus talked about the Pharisees. The whitewashed tombs, you know, all prettied up, but death on the inside. That was Samson. That was Samson. All the externals of the Nazarite vow were signs. They were just simply signs that his life was to be devoted to God. There was to be an inner reality attached to those outward symbols. And in some way, I guess I would say this, he didn't even understand his own strength. He didn't understand the working of the Holy Spirit in his life. It was just outward and external rather than spiritual and internal, a work of God's spirit in his heart. In fact, I would even say this about Samson, and I think this is an important lesson that we could draw from him. See, this is the reason why he had actually had like a succession of women always chasing the broads. Because he was trying, you know, in a relationship with Delilah and these other women, he was trying to give his life meaning, trying to give his life significance because he didn't have a deep personal faith relationship with God. And so he substituted human beings, in particular women, to seek to fulfill his needs, the desires of his heart. And, you know, it just makes me think this, and I just give you this challenge. You know, maybe you were hoping that God would bring a man into your life or bring a woman into your life, someone who could be a life partner for you. You know, I want to just tell you this, give you this challenge. Just seek the Lord. You know, say to the Lord, communicate to the Lord, Lord, I want to find my significance in you, not in another person. I want to find my identity in you, Jesus. I want to find my sense of value and purpose in you. And, and, and instead of putting my emphasis on a relationship, and I got to tell you, and I, I've heard so many people over the years just give testimony that when they came to that place in their life, then God brought them someone who could be a life partner, who could be someone that they could be married to and have a future with. And Samson, here he's placing on human relationships the expectation of what he needed to be getting from God, from the Lord. And it was a train wreck for him. It was, it was going to derail him. He, he is uh, heaping burning coals into his lap, as the scripture warns us. 
But here's this man of strength. But if you want to be strong in the Lord, the source of strength, the source of our strength is to be the Holy Spirit. And the secret of that strength is to be consecrated unto the Lord, to be to live your life set apart unto the Lord. And, and in choosing to say, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm not going to impoverish my life spiritually by going and living in Gaza and going to the valley of Sorek, you know, so to speak, like Samson did. Rather, I am going to seek you, Lord. I'm going to try to live for you. I'm going to pursue you. So what happens? Check it out, verse 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up, and they brought the money in their hands. So apparently these lords of the Philistines themselves needed to be convinced that the secret was finally out because they'd been playing along and had enough. Verse 19, she made him sleep on her knees. She called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Man, I read that, I just think, what a tragedy. He didn't even know at this point in time, Samson was unable to even recognize whether the Lord was with him or not. Lulled to sleep again. And this time out comes the razor. But losing his hair was really nothing. I mean, you need to know that. This wasn't about losing his hair. The tragedy was this, that the Lord left him. Not that he lost his hair. The Lord left him. Long before his head was shaved, his heart had drifted. And I read this, I got to say, like, Samson, I feel sorry for Samson when I read this story. I mean, even though he's, like, put himself in this spot, And what happens? The Philistines seize him. They gouge out his eyes. Check out verse 21. The Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. And they brought him down to Gaza. And they bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. Remember last week? We talked about Samson and how he he burned up all the grain of the Philistines. Now what's he reduced to? He's reduced to to grinding their grain in a prison like a beast of burden shackled to a mill. This has been called, and I like it, the, the binding, the blinding, and the grinding of sin. That's what sin will do to you. It'll shackle you. It will blind you. It will leave you grinding in this world. And you know what? That amongst all the judges, this is the last judge in the book of Judges, amongst all of them, this is the, the first time in this book that one of God's judges has been defeated. Out of all the characters that we've looked at so far, over these weeks, no one's ever been defeated. This is the first one. And, and it makes me feel bad for Samson, because I just think, wow, it's like so unnecessary. He he didn't have to go down like that. Now check out verse 22. It says this. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. That's what hair does. 
It grows. And I wish the Lord would do something about the top side of my hair. Got no problem right here. But on the top side, I just it's not working for me. I got it. Lord needs to do something. Now, when I think about this, that Samson's hair began to grow, it's just incredible to me that the Philistines let that happen. Don't you think that? If they knew the hair was the source of his strength, or so they believed, they didn't recognize it was the Spirit of God. How could they miss it and let it happen and let that hair grow? And what that shows us is this, is that, that they had a, uh, a pretty shallow view of God's work in Samson. A pretty shallow view of the Israelite God, Yahweh. They didn't understand that Yahweh's strength is made perfect in weakness. They didn't understand that Yahweh never breaks his word. You know, the Lord told Samson, or told Samson's parents that he would be a Nazarite until the day of his death. God, that's chapter 13, verse 7. That's what his parents were told. Till the day of his death, he will be a Nazarite. The God of the Bible, who is a God of grace, he's faithful even when his people are unfaithful. And so, you know, when we look at the Bible, often we get focused on the characters, but the true hero of the story is always God, the Lord. The battle is always against, you know, the Lord and the idols of this world. This is not a contest between Samson and the Philistines. It's between Yahweh and, as we're going to see, Dagon, the false god of the Philistines. Which god is stronger? Who is Samson going to serve? Who, who are the children of Israel going to serve? God was rescuing Israel from their idolatry, even as Samson himself was being delivered from his idolatry. God was rescuing Samson in these actions. Now check it out, verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. Boy, this is, you know, one of the great tragedies of sin is it allows the enemies of God to rejoice. When they see sin in God's people, they love it, man. They love it. Verse 25. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. So here they are, they're in the temple of Dagon. And it seems like Dagon's won, but Samson is not finished yet. I love this story. You know, he asks, takes this young boy and who's leading him around. He's shackled. I don't know how he's dressed. Did they dress him up like a clown? I don't know what they've done to him that he's entertaining the crowds. Maybe they're like giving him things to lift. Lift this over your head and he can't do it anymore. I don't know what's going on, how he's entertaining But he asked this young boy to take him so that he can feel the pillars that support the building. And the text tells us that all of the lords of the Philistines were there. That 3,000 people were on the roof of this building. This This is a massive structure. So there's 
If there's 3,000 on the roof, there's got to be at least that many or more inside the building. And for only the second time in the story of Samson, four chapters devoted to him, this is only the second time that we see this guy pray. Check out verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord, please remember me. And please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Now, you know, I don't know. The text, text doesn't tell us. There's, this is one of the spots where, once again, we'll have to wait till we get to heaven to find out some of the more details. But, you know, I imagine that while Samson was grinding away, like a beast of burden, walking in circles day after day, pushing that mill and grinding grain, that he learned to talk to the Lord. The story doesn't tell us, but I think something was worked out between Samson and and the Lord in terms of repentance, in terms of forgiveness, in terms of faith, which is why Samson is counted amongst the heroes of faith. In that chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. Now check out verse 29, it says this, After he prayed, and Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers... And all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtel in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. Pushes those pillars, down comes the wall. It's an incredible scene. The whole temple of Dagon, not just people crushed, but the whole temple of Dagon, the false god of the Philistines, comes tumbling down. Now, I don't know, you look at Samson and you go, what do you do with a Bible character like this? Probably not the best to make a hero out of him. His character's flawed. His character is flawed. His understanding of the Lord to me seems insufficient. And yet God heard his prayer. God listened to his plea for mercy for his request for strength and grace in his time of need. And as a judge of Israel, his job, his calling upon his life was to save Israel from their oppressors, from their enemies. His role was to be a savior and a deliverer. And so God strengthened him and he pushed those pillars and down came that building. And When you go through the pages of the book of Judges, what we see is this, is that he's the only judge that died in his role. In his role of bringing a judicial sentence upon the enemies of God. And you think about Samson, he's wrong. Tons of stuff that he did was wrong. It was sin. And, And... And yet the greatest thing that he accomplished was accomplished as a judge in the moment of his death. Now that's crazy. Like the greatest thing he ever accomplished was in the moment of his death. Though he did so many things against the Lord, 
The Lord was faithful to him. He prayed. He pushed those two pillars with all his might. The temple came down and more were killed in his death than in his life. Now, throughout the book of Judges, one of the things we've been looking for is this. We've been talking about Jesus and the book of Judges. What is the pictures of Jesus that we see in each one of these judges? And so we said, wow, how's Jesus foreshadowed? We looked at Gideon. We've looked at Othniel. We've looked at these different characters because Jesus is the ultimate deliverer of God's people. So can we look at Samson and draw some comparisons? Can we see some foreshadows of Jesus? Well, I would say, yeah, we can. We can. See, the most important moment of Samson's life was his death. But his death was very different from Jesus' death. See, Samson died in a pagan temple which was an end brought about by his own sin and disobedience. But Jesus, our judge, he always lived for his Father's glory, and he died not for his own personal sin. He didn't die for his own disobedience. He died for your sin and for your disobedience. Samson's ministry was to begin the deliverance of Israel, but Jesus died once for all, the final rescue. There are lots of contrasts between the, the, the death of Samson and the death of Jesus. Both were betrayed by a close friend. Delilah and Samson case, Judas in the case of Jesus. Both betrayers were bought off with silver. Both Jesus and Samson were handed over to Gentile oppressors. Both of them were shackled by those oppressors. They were both taunted and publicly mocked. Both Jesus and Samson died with their arms stretched out. Samson pushing against pillars, Jesus nailed to a cross. Both appeared to be completely struck down by their enemies, and yet both of them crushed the enemy. Did Jesus not do that? He crushed the enemy, the devil. Samson crushed Dagon and the Philistines. Jesus crushed the devil. As the temple of Dagon crashed down, the apparent triumph of the enemy over Yahweh was reversed. Yahweh and his servant were victorious. And there was this, this, the result was this, this sort of spiritual divorce between the children of Israel and the worship of Dagon, the Philistine god. God's people needed to be distinct. And so this victorious judge helped bring that about. On the cross, Jesus brought the power of darkness to nothing. Satan thought he had won, just like the Philistines thought they had won. But Jesus disarmed him, and the Bible tells us that Jesus took the keys of death and Hades. On the cross, Jesus took the penalty for our sin and our disobedience so that Satan could no longer rule over us. That's why he stretched out his arms to save us. Jesus' death took away the power of sin. It's a spiritual divorce for us that Jesus, when he sets us free from sin, he is breaking the power of idolatry in our hearts and in our lives. But think about Samson. Samson killed many people in his death, but Jesus, on the other hand, by his death, he saves many people. Samson, more than any judge, 
pictures what it means to be victorious in defeat. That's the story of the gospel, a victorious defeat. See, Jesus, Jesus became weak so that we might become strong. Jesus became weak so that we might be saved. But there is one more major difference between Samson and Jesus. See, Samson's story ended at his death. His family came, recovered his body, buried him. But Jesus, his death was just the beginning of his story. He he too was buried, but God raised him to life that all might believe in him. And so in Jesus, there is life, there is light, there is hope, there is forgiveness, there is joy, there is peace, and Jesus wants to work in our hearts and lives to set us free and from living in the grip of the enemy, living in the grip of of fear, living in the grip of sin. Jesus wants to make us strong, but to make us strong, we have to be weak before him. And only those who confess that they are unrighteous receive the righteousness of Christ. And so look at, I want to give you three takeaways from this morning, okay? Three things. The first one is this. Don't mistake God's graceful blessing as an approval of your sinful behavior. Look at this is very important. I think the longer you walk with Jesus, the more this potentially can be a danger in your life as you experience his grace and his blessing. Look at there's no special set of rules for you. Sin is sin and it has to be dealt with. And if you experience God's external blessing, but inside you're holding secret sin, practicing it, lying about it, covering up, pursuing, I want to tell you, God will not put up with that. He won't put up with it. And so I implore you, by the help of the Holy Spirit, clean it up. Bring it to light. Don't don't let it continue to fester. See, Samson didn't get where he got overnight. And if you let it fester, if you leave it alone, and and you feed it, eventually God's going to bring his discipline. He's going to bring his correction. So don't mistake God's graceful blessing as his approval of sinful behavior. The second thing is this. We become usable when we learn to depend on the Lord. That's what faith is. It's like... I want to say Samson didn't display any faith till the end of his life, basically. God just gracefully worked through him. But it wasn't until the end when when he learned to depend upon the Lord, when he said, God, you've got to work in the midst of this. And then the Lord worked and, and destroyed the enemy through him. We become usable when we learn to depend on the Lord. This is faith. And the third thing is this. Jesus is stronger. Jesus is stronger. Rely on his strength and his grace. Look at it. The way to be strong is to be weak. As a follower of Jesus, the way to be strong is to be a man dependent upon the Lord, a woman dependent on the Lord who relies on his strength and his grace. God is so good. He's so good that he does this for us all the time. He's pouring out his grace, pouring out his blessing pouring out his favor. And because 
he is so strong, we need to just learn to take a position of weakness before him. To say, Jesus, I recognize everything I have. It's not because of who I am. It's because of who you are. It's not because of what I've done. It's because of what you've done. It's not because I'm so wonderful. It's because you're wonderful. And so as God pours out his grace on your life, allow his grace to change you. Allow it to transform you. Allow it to work in your heart and in your life. So would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we thank you for the story of Samson. God, we, uh, I hope we don't see too much of ourselves in him because his life was a disaster. But Lord, even in the midst of disaster, Lord, maybe our lives are that disaster. You can come, you can work in the man or woman who will just surrender to you, who will bow the knee to you, who will come to you and say, Lord, I need you. I need your strength at work in me. And so, Jesus, I thank you that though we see a very flawed man in Samson, when we compare him to you and what you did for us, Jesus, you're perfect. You're good. Your strength is mighty to save. And Lord, this morning, we just confess our need of you. Lord, we ask that your grace would transform us, that we would be changed by it, that we would allow you to change us, Lord, that we would allow you to transform our hearts and lives. Lord, please don't let us go further down the road of thinking we're just ignoring that thing in our life. I pray that your spirit would work to clean it up. Lord, we give you our hearts this morning. We give you our lives. And we thank you for the strength that you bring into us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.